What a great time of worship this morning. And thank you, all of you, for being here as we lift up our voices to praise God together. And for all of you joining us online right now, we want to welcome you as well. Thank you so much for worshiping God with us. And we're excited to continue to worship God by opening up his word and hearing from Alex in a little bit, which I'll introduce to you in a minute. Uh, but we're just going to continue on worshiping, and we've got a couple of announcements to give uh, right now. Of course, we do announcements at the beginning of the service, uh, but right now I want to give you a, just a couple of more to make you aware of and, uh, and have a, a special uh, moment here in the service as well that I think we need to have. But first of all, if you're new, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for being here today. If you are new and would like to connect with us, just sign up at efree.org connect and give us a little bit of information about you. We'll give you some information about us and would love to talk and get to know you better and answer or any questions that you may have at efree.org connect. So please feel free to do that or just come up and see me today after the service. I'd love to, to connect with you. Uh, we did record this week a video on the finances of the church. We do that occasionally, a finance update video, just to give you a bit of a deeper dive. So if you are not already, you can sign up to get those at efree.org updates. We have a couple of mailing lists you can join. One is the regular church updates list, but that goes out to thousands of people, and we don't want to send everything to thousands of people and crowd their inbox. So we have another one that's just called Senior Pastor Updates, and it just has hundreds of people. If you want to join that one, we go do some deeper dives there. Uh, we'll send you occasionally a video or, or information that you may want to know if you want to be a church insider. Not that there's an insider or an outsider, but if you just want to know a little extra information, sign up there. You'll get the finance update video this week and hear how things are going at the church and how you can be involved. Also want to give you the results of our business meeting between the services. We had a, a great meeting. It was short, which is a great meeting. And uh, a, a good meeting is always a short meeting, in my opinion. But uh, we had two candidates put forward for nominating committee, Doug Austin and Laura Malzahn, and both of those votes passed. So we welcome them to our nominating committee and are excited to have them joining the team. You can clap for that. Absolutely. I also want to draw your attention today to something that's going on in the world that I'm sure you have heard about, but I don't, I don't know if you know the full extent of what's going on right now in Afghanistan. It is a devastating situation over there, and it's especially difficult for Christians and American citizens. There are thousands of American citizens who are trapped around Kabul right now, unable to get to the airport through all the checkpoints. And even if they could, there aren't enough flights going out of there. The, the connecting airports are not accepting uh, flights in, in the number that we would need to be able to get enough people out of there. And it's a, a dire situation. And I want to encourage you to be praying for the people of Afghanistan for the families, uh, of, for the American families that are stuck over there, the American citizens, for the Christians. The Taliban is going door to door right now as we speak, knocking on people's doors, specifically hunting down and killing Christians. It is happening right now. And these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Some horrific stories are coming out of Afghanistan right now. And I do want to share some of those with you, but I, I, I want to give you some prayer points to work through. One of those is the, the Afghan people especially those that stood against the Taliban. And they are now enemy number one. And the Taliban is, is going around and trying to find them. And it's a very dangerous situation for them as they try to haul up in their houses or, or flee uh, into the mountains. I and mean, there's some crazy stuff happening over right now, there right now. For the Christians, for the missionaries who are stuck there, who did not have uh, the advance warning to be able to get out and are now trapped and in a very dangerous situation. For many families here in St. Louis, who have loved ones in Afghanistan, family members that are still over there. We need to be praying for them. And then for veterans, 
many veterans, 10 years of veterans, 20 years of veterans who uh, have been involved in a conflict that now they see um, coming to resolve in, a, in an end in a way that is absolutely devastating for them. Men and women who lost friends over there, who lost limbs over there, and now they're asking for what? Why, why do we do this if this is how it ends? This is hitting our veteran community. This is hitting um, our refugee community here in St. Louis and around this country in a very hard way. And, and many Christians, and, and just a few years ago, there was a, a young man who came to the Lord and I got to baptize him. Um, he was from Afghanistan. His family's still over there. No idea how they're doing right now. Just a, a very horrible situation. And, and right now we have Afghan families coming into St. Louis as refugees. Uh, people with special interest visas, people that were able to get out of the country, managed to. There's many more that are still trying to. And so more and more families are going to be refugees here in St. Louis from Afghanistan. These are by and large people who have helped the United States in some way. And now we're trying to get them out of there before they are found and, and caught by the Taliban. And so we have opportunities to help these people. And I just want to give you a couple of those ways. You can donate uh, furniture, you can donate beds, you can uh, donate all sorts of things to Oasis International. And Oasis International is a group that we've done some work with, my wife and I have done some work with, and some of you have as well. You can sign up to be a partner family to a refugee family to help them get integrated here. Many of them are coming over with basically nothing. The banks are still closed over in Kabul. There's no telling if they're going to be able to get any of their resources, any of their funds. Um, so they're coming over here in many cases with almost nothing. And this is an opportunity for the body of Christ to step up and really make a difference in these people's lives. And I've asked uh, one of our elders, Will Glidewell, to pray for us. But before he does, I just want to give you a, a taste of what's going on over there right now. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through this. I couldn't in the first service. So, Will, if at any point in time I start to choke up, you know the cue. <laughs> you step in and pray. This is from here in St. Louis. A young Afghan family that has been here in St. Louis a year has heard... Uh, or a young Afghan has heard from his dad that their house was broken into in Kabul, everything in it destroyed and burned to the ground by the Taliban, and his family is on the run. That's happening right now. BW, will call him, has served 14 years alongside special forces. His nephew was killed by the Taliban, and his wife and children are in hiding. His three- and five-year-old grandsons are in fear of their lives as the Taliban is looking specifically for them. B.W. fears that he will never see his grandsons again. His brother has done security for the CIA for 10 years. He was wounded and is currently guarding the Kabul airport. He and his family were promised to be on one of the last flights out. RAF has lived in St. Louis for three years. He went back to Afghanistan in June to see his sick mother and to sell their family home. He is now hiding and cannot get to the airport. His family has not heard from him in five days. Would you pray for the people of Afghanistan, for the Christians, for the missionaries, that God would watch over and protect them and give us opportunities to minister in this time? Yeah, absolutely. Please join me in prayer. Father, as I come before you, God, I'm just uh, full of emotions. You can hear it in Adam's voice and those fears of anger and just fear. God, I admit, I, I struggle to understand the atrocities that are, are happening in Afghanistan. God, I, I struggle to understand the depth of cruelty that any one person can have against another and just the total disregard for human life. And Father, as believers, I know that your ways are not ours and our ways are not yours, but I confess that I still 
I still struggle to understand the pain and the torture. Lord, and it's just the senseless murder of men and women who have who placed themselves and their families in harm's way and who have dedicated their lives to you. Lord, at the same time, you've told us these things would happen and it shouldn't be a surprise, but we confess we still struggle. And through it all, Lord, your spirit speaks to us. You remind us that there are things that you want us to know about you and there are things on this earth that will remain a mystery. But you remind us in all things, in all times, whether they're good or bad, that we are always to place our trust in you, Lord, and especially now, please help us do so. And Lord, your word shares the value of, that you place on prayer. And so this morning, as we are thousands of miles away and seem helpless at this time, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are serving in Afghanistan. And God, as a father, and as a grandfather, Lord, I, I pray for these children who are being removed from their parents' arms. I pray for the unbearable pain of parents who helplessly watch the children being taken. We pray for the men and women who are being brutalized and taken or sold as slaves. We pray for those who may be held in captivity. Lord, may you protect them from harm, and may they find comfort in you. God, may your armies deliver them from the captors into freedom and to safety. And for those who are sheltered in place, who have fled to the mountains or elsewhere, Lord, may you provide them food and the shelter that they need. And God, may you provide a safe passage out of harm's way. God, and may you blind those who seek to find and harm them. God, we do pray for our leaders and our government. God, may the decisions not be political, but made out of love and dignity and common sense for human life and suffering. And God, we pray for the military. May you give them courage and protection as they protect and rescue your children from just from evil hands. And yet, Lord, as this land just seems so dark and evil, God, your word has spread so rapidly. So God, I pray that your presence that will be continue to be felt May your voice continue to be heard, and may you leave no doubt that you are Lord, you are God, and there is no other. God, will you remind our brothers and sisters in Christ your words that you shared through Paul and passed through in Romans 8, that Christ does not, that the Christ's love does not mean we will be without trouble or calamity, or persecution or hunger or destitute, or danger or threatened with death. No, despite all these things, the overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love God has and revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Will. 
If you want to get involved and help families that are coming over here from Afghanistan, you can do that through Oasis International. You can just search for Oasis International Ministries online. Or if you go to our website at efree.org slash make a difference, at the bottom of the page, there is a link to Oasis there. And you can sign up to help in a lot of different ways. I would encourage you to do that. It is a great ministry. They're doing incredible work. And we can actually be a, a part of this. And, you know, we've been talking about justice in this series. We're going through this series, Justice and the Bible. And, and this is a justice issue right now. There are people whose, whose dignity as image bearers of God is, is being devastated and, and maligned uh, in the most horrible, atrocious, way, atrocious ways possible by this terrible group, the Taliban. And what they are doing is an injustice. And here we have an opportunity to do justice, to help people by praying for them, certainly, but also by stepping up and helping in other ways. And, and not necessarily everyone has to do that. God's not necessarily going to touch everybody's heart and say every single one of you needs to, but some of us need to. The body of Christ needs to be involved in this. And some of you that maybe God's not calling you to be involved in this, he's calling you to be involved in other things. And so just be sensitive to the leading of his Holy Spirit and where he wants you to step in and be a part of helping people who are in need, giving the proper due to his image bearers. That is doing justice. Speaking of doing justice, we're going to continue the Justice Series today. And our guest speaker from last week is our guest speaker this week. You know, we started off this series with Dr. Thaddeus Williams talking about social justice A and social justice B and giving us kind of a framework to understand these social justice issues. And then we spent a week talking about biblical justice and the God of justice and what does that mean? What does it mean for a follower of God to do justice in this world from a biblical perspective? And then last week, Alex Bryant came with his wife, Angela, and they shared with us from their perspective of racial reconciliation and justice and social justice. And Alex is back with us again today. If you weren't here last week, Alex and his wife made a video a few years ago that went viral. And after that, they wrote a book called Let's Start Again, a great book. I encourage you to get it. It's available out in the lobby if you don't have it already. I know many of you have read it and it is wonderful. And uh, they have some other things out there you could purchase as well if you want to. And we invited Alex and Angela to come in a few months ago to speak. Well, originally we invited them a year ago. We were going to have them here last August, and that didn't work out. And so uh, we are so glad to be able to have them here. A few months ago they came and spoke with our elders and our staff, and now they're here to share with all of you. Well, Alex is anyway. Angela's not here, and I'm not going to tell you why. I'll let Alex explain that. But we're going to show you a brief introduction video, and then Alex is going to come up and share with us one more time. Good morning. All right. What's up? You guys are, you guys remember last week, this brother likes some feedback. You know what I'm saying? So, but um, I bring greetings. Um, my wife, Angela, she's not here because she doesn't like you guys as much as she likes, as much as she likes our son, Michael. He is moving into college this weekend at Evangel University. And they had, we moved him in on Friday. We went back on Saturday for all the parent activities. They were doing a service today for the students and they were gonna pray over the parents. And she's like, I wanna be at everything. I'm like, I'm done with him. Get him out of my house, you know what I mean? He eats too much. But she wanted to be there with him and support him and she sends her greetings. And man, we had such a great time with you all last week. She really is sad that she could not be here. Y'all have a lovely church. 
Um, great pastor, Pastor Adam, you're doing a great job here. I've always appreciated our time. We've had the chance to speak on the phone a few times. We shared a meal. Um, we were here with the staff and the elders, and, and I love what you're doing. Pastor, I love that you were not afraid to tackle this, um, this conversation, I mean, this, this issue. A lot of people, a lot of pastors, and especially a lot of white pastors are not one to talk about it. And um, a lot of people have what I call racial fatigue, just tired of it. You know, if you watch the media all the time, all they're doing is stirring things up. And I imagine if I was a white person, I'd be like, come on, enough is enough, you know. But I'm not, you know. And so um, we, we see things differently, and we have a different perspective and a different point of view. And so I just want to encourage you, don't, um, don't have racial fatigue. Please engage in a conversation. We need your voice. And so I want to talk to us this morning. Last week we talked about, it was the heart. We wanted to get the heart right. And um, the, our hearts is that, um, that Christ came to reconcile us. He made it right for us to be able to be reconciled unto God. And he's um, given us the mission to go and reconcile as many people as we can to God. Red, yellow, black, and white. Um, that was the color of girls I dated in college. No, I mean, that, they're precious in his sight. Okay, my bad. So some of you guys are going, what? No, so I like to joke in case you didn't notice. But, but you know, we, we are. God is concerned with all people of all nations, of all tribes, to be reconciled unto him. And the, the salvation's for us all. And so this week, I want to just kind of give you a little charge here. I want to encourage you to become ambassadors of racial reconciliation. Ambassadors of racial reconciliation. Man, there's a difference between the goals of racial reconciliation and social justice. Our young people are being told and they're being um, beckoned to become social justice warriors. And that sounds all good. And you know, um, there's some things about that we want to talk about, but I want to encourage you to become an ambassador of reconciliation. Here's why. Because racial reconciliation includes social justice, but social justice doesn't always include racial reconciliation. I'm gonna say it again, then we're gonna spend some time unpacking that. Racial reconciliation includes social justice. We were told that there's a few pillars of social justice. You know, equity and access, diversity, participation, human rights. Racial reconciliation includes much of that, but if we're going for social justice alone, it doesn't necessarily lead to racial reconciliation. And again, we're going to unpack that. But first, let me give you what the, what the Bible says about reconciliation. I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. I'm going to read this in the NIV. Here's what it says. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're gonna talk about that. Um, I just forgot this. I wanna try to kind of let you know before I even go deeper, and sorry about this, I did this out of order. But, you know, we want to connect with you. This, this message right here, it's just going to be just a tip, a touch. Um, we're just really kind of bridging the surface of this whole racial reconciliation, social justice deal. We'd love to stay connected with you. We have cards. These are prayer cards. I'm going to ask you to come to our table. We're out here to um, my left, your right. Get one of our cards. Pray for us. 
put this on your fridge and remember to pray for um, Alex Bryant Ministries and because um, we need your prayer support. This is crazy stuff. We get attacked from all sides. Black people get mad at me because they think I give white people a pass. White people are mad because I don't see it your way all the time. And so we need Christian people to pray with us and to keep us covered in prayer. And then on the back of our card, it tells how you can connect with us if you want to um, join with us and, and text us one of our cards. We told you last week, if you want to get on our mailing list, text start again, the 22828. It tells you about our podcast. It tells you about some of our shirts and our book that we have. Pastor already mentioned our book, Let's Start Again, a biracial couple's view on race, racial ignorance, and racial insensitivity. And then we have some shirts, um, just some merch. This helps support our ministry. You guys saw these last week. I've been sizes, small, medium, large, all the way up to 4X. I told my team, I, if people come up and they see that I'm a big dude, I want them to be able to have a shirt. You know, if you're smaller than me, we got a shirt for you. So that's kind of the deal there. And, um, and, and realistically, this helps us get the message out. We, we take this message to anywhere that we're invited. Colleges, high schools, we go to teen challenges. I do, you know, I don't care where we get invited. Small, you know, um, country churches or inner city churches. And a lot of times they can't support what we need for our ministry. This is what we do full time. And we have ministry partners, people like you, that make it possible for us to go anywhere that we're invited. When people invite us to come somewhere, all that we say is please cover our travel expenses. And if you can give us a love offering or honorarium, we'd appreciate it. But we don't charge anything. And so, but we're able to do that because of generous people like you. So if you want to become one of our monthly partners, come and see us there. We got envelopes on our table and you can figure out how to do that to get the message of reconciliation all around. But what we're doing is trying to tell people what the Bible says about reconciliation. So we studied, we, we read that passage in 2 Corinthians 5. Just to, just to give us a paraphrase, I mean, through Christ, God reconciled us to himself and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. We have been reconciled. We've been set free. We've been saved. We can receive salvation unto God through what Jesus Christ did, his work on the cross. I'm thankful for the cross because the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned, every single one of us. We've all fall short of the glory of God, and we deserve to die and spend eternity away from him. That's what Romans 6.23 says. But man, God has made a way for us to be reconciled unto him. And then now, as this passage in 2 Corinthians is telling us, we are called to be Christ's ambassadors. We speak his message, not our own. And we're speaking his message of reconciliation. Here's another passage I'd like to refer to when we're seeing what the Bible has to say about reconciliation. In Colossians 1, verse 20 through 22, and I'll just paraphrase this. It says, through Christ, everyone in all things can be reconciled by the blood of Jesus. Now, we're presented as holy and blameless and above reproach before God. It's all because of what Jesus did. It's not what we did. Jesus came and he lived the perfect life. He never sinned. He walked this earth and then he went to the cross. He laid down his life. They didn't take it from him. He laid it down. That's the rugged, tough Jesus that we serve. A man who is strong enough to never sin. Imagine that willpower. Crazy to think about. And he went to the cross and became the perfect sacrifice, the final sacrifice that was needed, final blood sacrifice to pay for all of our sin. And now we, through what Jesus did, have been reconciled unto God. Look at Ephesians 2, 13. It says, in Jesus Christ, those who were far off 
have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And because of what Jesus has already done, we now have the opportunity to go out and strive for peace with everyone. That's what Hebrews 12, 14 tells us to do. Strive for peace with everyone. Jesus made it possible for us to be reconciled unto God because of the work that he did. Aren't you thankful for reconciliation? Amen? Amen. So let's talk about social justice. Here's the definition of social justice. It's justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. And it's kind of like fair and just relations between the individual and society. It's the view that everyone deserves equal economic, political, and social rights and opportunities. I mean, that's not a bad thing. I mentioned the pillars of social justice, equity, access, diversity, participation, human rights. These are the pillars that they stand on. And, and I, I like most of those. I really do. You know, we have a little bit of a discussion between, like, the difference between equality and equity. I think Martin Luther King was fighting for equality. He wanted all people of all colors to have the equal opportunities. We can all start in the same place. I think equity deals more with where we end. And we have some discussion on that, right? Because we can't guarantee the outcomes. But as a black person, I want to be given the opportunity to do what you do, to have what you have for our white brothers and sisters. And that's, you know, but, but these are pillars that we can, we can look at for social justice. The goal of social justice, it's typically the redistribution of power to enhance the well-being of people through equal access to health care, justice, and economic opportunity. So when we start to look at the goal of social justice, some of us kind of want to raise an eyebrow. You want to redistribute? Nah, bruh. I worked hard for what I got, right? Wait, wait. There's a lot of Caucasians in here. I don't think you say nah, bruh, do you? <laughs> That'd be funny to hear you guys say it. Say nah, bruh. That's pretty good, you know? <laughs> so in, you know, white terms, I'd be no way, brother. That's what that would be, okay? Nah, bruh. You can say, no way, brother, however you want to say it, okay? So, again, just joking. Please don't get offended by the jokes. Don't tell me you're offended at the table. Email Pastor Adam later on, all right? So, but social justice, ironically, doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. Social justice doesn't. Now, however, the root word of that phrase, justice, it does. So I did a Bible study to see what I found about justice in the Bible. Here's what I found in the Old Testament. I'll give you a few of these scriptures in the ESV, and then some of them will just kind of give a little quick paraphrase. But this is what Isaiah 117 says. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and take care of widows. That stuff sounds good. Isaiah told the people to do that, and I think that's good advice for us today. We should be taking care of those that don't have a father. We should be taking care of the widows. We should seek justice for people. Let's correct any oppression that we see. Those are things that we should work to do as followers of Christ. Here's Micah 6, 8, the, 6, 8, the second part of this verse. It says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God? God wants us to do justice. He's just and he wants us to work for justice. Sounds good. Isaiah 61.8, the Lord loves justice. If the Lord loves it, we should love it too. 
Psalms 33, 5, he loves righteousness and justice. God wants you to do what's right. He wants you to be in right standing with him. And again, we've already established we are in right standing with God because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did, right? I'm thankful that Jesus did what he did so that I could be righteous. Now he wants us to go and live rightly. We are to seek to um, seek righteousness, to be people that do what is right and to, and to seek justice. Proverbs 21.3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Don't, don't just go out and do whatever you want and say, oh, I'm sorry, and keep doing, oh, I'm sorry, so I'm sorry. Don't keep offending people and then just, well, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to forgive me. Do what's right. Do what's just. And then again, Psalms 82.3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless and maintain their rights. That means keep on doing it. Don't grow tired of doing what's right. So I look at this term justice, it's in the Bible. Ironically, if you notice, these are Old Testament passages. If you were to do your own study, you'd find that the majority of this term justice in the Bible is found in the Old Testament. So I wanted to see what the New Testament has to say about justice. Here's what I found in Romans 12, 19 and Hebrews 10, 30, pretty much the same thing. It says, don't take revenge, but leave it to the Lord to avenge you. This is God telling us to let him be the judge and not us. He's the one that will, will um, be the one that avenges, that, that will judge what's right or what's wrong and what's supposed to be done. We need to realize that he's promised to take care of vengeance and repaying the evil done for us. Now see, the problem is, it doesn't always happen on our timetable. We have, um, we have five kids, four boys, the two oldest ones are in college, one's at Mizzou, one's starting at Evangel, and then we have our three littles is what we call them. And we should start saying that they're young because they're not so little anymore. Our, our middle son, he's 14, and um, our number four son, he is 13, just turned 13 on Thursday, and then our daughter, the princess, <laughs> she's 11. And so, uh, and I tell the kids, hey, the rules changed. We got a little girl, boys are a dime a dozen in our house. It's just how it works, you know what I'm saying? She is daddy's little girl. Anybody else have daddy's little girl? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, yeah, the rules change with daddy's little girl. And so, but what happens with our little three is they're just always like jockeying for position. They always want dad to be on their side and to, and to say, well, I'm, I'm the disciplinarian in our house, okay? You know, I call it the rule of 15. You do something wrong, I'll put my big old size 15 up your butt, okay? You know, but can I say that, Pastor? Does that insinuate anything? <laughs> that was a joke, people. That was a joke. I don't need anybody calling child services on me. But you know, we, we just, but they always want me to be there to like just judge and dad, tell him he's wrong or tell him he's right and just always going there. And you know, sometimes I, you know, pick a side. Sometimes I, I try to do what's right. And sometimes, just sometimes I'm like, hey, I, I, I want to try to flip it on them. I like to try to like, you know, if, if I know that somebody was purposely wrong and they just continue to do that, I might let's say, let's just go with what Mason wants to do this time. Mason can be stingy or he can choose not to, he has the right to do it. Just, you guys leave him alone and let him do it. Because my goal is I want him to, to kind of go, oh, wait, maybe he's, he's been a little bit sarcastic there or maybe that's it. And so, but, but what often happens is the way that I go about trying to teach them the long-term message that I want them to learn, which is to get along, which is to stop bickering, to stop fighting. I don't always do it the way they want me to. And I don't always do it in the right time. 
Because if the Bears are playing, don't bring that mess to me. If there's no blood, talk to me later. You know what I'm saying? My Bears are on. You know what I mean? But it's not always in the right timing. It's not always the way they want it to be. But they have to realize that, you know, dad is going to, in our house, take care of the issues. And they have to trust that. And, you know, they, they can't go around and if somebody hits somebody else, go and get them back. Dad will take care of administering justice in our home. See, we're not the ones who are to fight for vengeance. God's not telling us in this passage, in these two passages in Romans 12, 19 and Hebrews 10, 30, he's not telling us to become social justice warriors. We're not always supposed to fight for that. However, he is calling us to help reconcile people unto himself and trust that he will take care of things. Jesus said it's no longer an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but he taught us that we should turn the other cheek in Matthew 5, 38 through 39. That doesn't seem too just. Especially as people that have been oppressed and, and black and brown people have been oppressed in the United States. It's not that way anymore. I mean, I'm not trying to get caught up on a semantic or it's there, there, but in the history of the United States, there have been people that have been oppressed. And to kind of throw this at us is kind of like, what? Turn the other cheek, let it keep going on? That doesn't seem too just, Lord. Here's another example of justice that I found in the, in the New Testament. It's in Luke chapter 18, verse one through eight. Jesus talks about the parable of the widow seeking justice. She kept going to the judge and asking for justice and she kept going to him and going to him. He wasn't giving her justice. Finally, he says, I have to give this lady justice because she's just going to keep bothering me. So then he finally gives her justice. Um, and then it says in verse seven, God will bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him. You know, we can see that that is, is one of the, um, the morals of this parable. Keep crying out to God because he'll finally bring you justice. You go back to verse one and you'll see, although yes, that is, that is an outcome that we can take from this parable, Jesus tells us that this parable is to show his disciples that we should always pray and not give up. Not giving up means keeping the faith. So our goal is to pray in the face of injustice and to not give up. It's to keep faith that God is going to do what he promised to do, which is to avenge us. That's hard to do. I imagine that those Afghan Christians, and I've heard stories like you, Pastor, in emails about them just um, over there and just, unless the Lord intervenes and unless our government steps up and does something, they're most likely going to be killed. That's a hard message to say to them. Hey, just keep praying and keep the faith. Some say that's not enough. Actually, that's the best thing that we can do. Our hope is in the Lord. He's our redeemer. He's our salvation. He's our rescuer and deliverer. And that's what we can do. Here's a few observations I noticed from these verses that I've shared with you. First one is this. I noticed that Old Testament speaks way more about justice than the New Testament. I mean, you can go on and on all throughout the Old Testament and you can see verse after verse after verse that talks about justice. And in the New Testament, I saw like four or five. And I started to ask myself, why is that? And here's what I came up to when I started to ask that. Perhaps the New Testament is more focused on love and grace and forgiveness. That's what Jesus came to bring. Love, grace, forgiveness. 
I mean, I want to remind you, Romans 3.23 tells us that all of us have sinned. Therefore, all of us are unjust. Every single one of us have sinned. We've missed the mark. We've been unjust. All of us have treated people wrongly, sinned against someone, maybe even oppressed another person. All of us have sinned. All of us have messed up. None of us are perfect. None of us are right. We may not have committed the, the egregious evil like slavery that was perpetuated upon you know, the black community, but all of us have sinned. All of us have been wrong. So the New Testament focuses more on forgiveness and reconciliation. None of us are without sin. None of us can stand before and act like that we're perfect or that we have it all together. None of us can. So since justice is um, in the New Testament, and, or excuse me, mainly in the Old Testament, and we could be in error and wrong if we try to focus on that, that's not what God's calling us to do. We're not called to be the ones that determine what true justice looks like. Our job is to pray and keep the faith. So let me give you a couple of, um, you know, another thing that I noticed on this. In matters of reconciliation, especially racially, and in matters of social justice issues, our job is to pray and keep the faith that God will work on our behalf. That's our job. That's hard to, to say. It's hard to do. Sometimes it's, it's hard to even accept. But I understand that, that we must do what God calls us to do concerning these issues. Sometimes God calls people to do things or to say things, to speak up, to lead other people. You look at people like William Wilberforce, who, who led men really all of the world and ridding the world of slavery. And then you look at um, you know, Martin Luther King or Harriet Tubman. There's some people that I believe and history has shown they've been divinely inspired to step up, to start something. My family feels like God is, is giving us this mantle. We're humbled. We're humbled by that he would choose to use us to, to take a message that literally like 49 million people have seen on Facebook. It's humbling. We, we, we go all over and people are like, hey, I recognize you, you're that family. I'm like, man. I always have to be good now. You know what I mean? I don't want to misrepresent. Sometimes God calls people, and if he's doing that, you know, then you need to take action. But let me just remind you that if he calls you to do that, let's focus on reconciliation and not justice. Young people, I want you to hear that. I get it that there's a lot of injustice that's happening in the world. There's things that you just don't like. You see it from a different perspective, young people, than the older people do. I get it. You want things to be right. You want things to be fair. But while you're striving for that, can I, can I, can I remind you to focus on reconciliation? Because that includes social justice. But if you're focusing on justice, I got to ask you a question. Who's the one that's going to determine what it really truly looks like? See, that's where we start to get off, and that's where the devil likes to get in and play it. He wants us to focus on justice. Make things right. Make things fair. Well, who's to determine what it looks like? If we were all focusing on what the Bible says about everything, then I think we might have some good outcomes. But we know that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's what John 10.10 10 says. He wants to take a little bit of, he wants to take the truth and sprinkle it with his, his little lies and twist it and divert it and make it perverted and to make it wrong. So we have to focus on reconciliation because reconciliation is greater than social justice. I've learned, and again, I'm going to tell you, and I hope you learn it too. Reconciliation includes social justice, but social justice doesn't necessarily include racial reconciliation. 
you know, let, let's just look at this in terms of um, some of the things that we're faced with in society. And this doesn't mean that we shouldn't want justice. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek justice. You look at something like systemic racism. You know, we, when I say a term like that, that starts to get people to go, oh Lord, let's hear what he's gonna say because what's happened is the media and politicians and culture has given us binary choice. Either you're in this camp or you're in this camp. And now regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, we're supposed to fight each other over who's right. That's what the world's saying to us. So when I bring up something or, or you know, if I bring up an example, we already come in it with, come at it with our biases going, oh no, or yeah, absolutely. And so a lot of times I don't even like to go into giving examples because I want us to, to get the heart, which is reconciliation. But I'm not always smart. So I'm going to give you an example, okay? I'm going to tell you about an example of systemic racism that I saw here in St. Louis. We used to pastor here. And um, I lived out in Oakville, which is south, you know, south, you know, St. Louis. And um, when we moved here to come and work, our kids, our oldest was in eighth grade, and my wife's like, hey, I'll move and go wherever the Lord calls us. We're working in the inner city at the St. Louis Dream Center, you know, right by Fairground Park off Natural Bridge over there. And, you know, my wife, she's a white lady. I think you guys all know that by now. She was here last week, but for those that are here for the first time, that's a spoiler alert, okay? So, <laughs> but she's like, Alex, you know, um, the schools, I, I had a friend that was a school superintendent at the time. He's like, hey, the schools, they're not accredited in the inner city. Tax dollars aren't where they need to be. You know, businesses left there. Your know, houses are dilapidated and falling apart, so you don't get the tax revenue. So you obviously don't get the good quality. So he's like, you need to live, he said, you live in West County or in South County, South, you know, um, St. Louis. So we chose to live in South St. Louis, Oakville. But then we would, I would drive into work every day. It's about 35 minutes. And um, I'd be coming up off I-70, and I'd get off at Grand, and I'd start to make my way over there. And you just saw the urban decay. You just saw it. And then you just felt it. I literally just felt that, you know, oppression. A lot of times, if I went the inner city way, I'd go up, and um, right before I turned off onto Natural Bridge, there was the traffic light cameras, because they were all over the inner city at this time. And um, if you turned right on red at the wrong time, you'd get a ticket sent to your house for $100. I don't always pay attention. And so I did that. I would turn right on red. Or maybe if you try to, you know, go through that yellow light and it turned red right at the wrong time, you know, they'd send you a ticket. And so I may or may not have received seven of these at my house um, and owed $700, okay? And so, you know, I'm like, good Lord, that's a lot of money, you know? And so I decided, because I had the means, I was going to go to court and I was going to try to get some of them reduced because that's $700. And, you know, I went in and I'm not a, I'm not, too proud to tell you that I, I played the pastor card. Your Honor, I'm a pastor moving here to do good works in this city. Can you help a brother out? You know what I mean? So, and she was nice. She took five of them off. I only had to pay $200. But here's what I learned. Now, when you get, now, first of all, those traffic light cameras, they weren't all over St. Louis. They didn't have those in South County. They had them part of the time in West County. But the city municipalities in West County and South County, which is usually where the white people live, their city governments and, and the city um, um, you know, lawyers, they'd start to fight and they'd say, no, that's unconstitutional. So they declared them unconstitutional. Well, in the city, the whole time that I was here for those few years, they were never declared unconstitutional. So you had um, inner city people doing what everybody does. Everybody tries to speed through, not everybody. A lot of people try to speed through that yellow light. It might turn red or you turn right at the wrong time. And so here's the problem. Once you got three of those and you didn't pay them, 
And it was harder. It was harder for inner city people to pay stuff because the best job in the inner city is assistant manager at the Dollar Tree. Or maybe you go to the payday loan place and you can make maybe $12, $13 an hour. You know, because let's be real, there's a lot of crime in the inner city because, hey, you know, black, black and brown people, it's a lot of times we live in the inner cities and there's more crime in those areas. We got to own that. I mean, these are, these are, we say in our book in chapter six, both sides have made mistakes. Regardless of mistakes have been made, and now we have a clash, and we as Christians should figure out how do we move forward and reconcile this stuff. But you know, the example is, in the inner city, you get these traffic light cameras, you get three of them. Now, you can't get your license renewed, you can't get your tags renewed, and they don't have the money to pay for it. So you're driving around with suspended tags, and you might be driving, you get pulled over, and the, the headlines will say something like, inner, you know, or inner city thug, and now, a side note, what color's a thug? What color's trailer park trash? We all have visions in our minds of what colors are. We'd say, oh, well, no, no, I don't believe in that. You know, Because I admit, some older people would come up to me later and say, well, thug to me is an Irish gangster or whatever. But the cultural appropriation now has led us in society and culture, most people believe thug is a black person. Trailer park trash is a white person. I mean, these are, these, I'm not saying that that's what it is, but it's perception. So let me just give you this example. So when we hear our previous president say something like, these NFL thugs, you know, should get back to work. So black people are going, he's racist. You know, and again, I want to say this. This is why our book is, is the subtitle is A Biracial Couple's View on Race, Racial Ignorance, and Racial Insensitivity. I would say that's very insensitive of him to say, knowing that culturally, black people identify as thug being one of us. So that's, whether it's ignorant or insensitivity, but you know, again, not everything is racist. That's a side note. So that's, a, that's an example. And some of you might say, well, that's not a good example. That's okay, that's fair. You can have your opinion on that. But perception is reality, and here's my main point. Can we at least discuss it? Can we, can we all have our different points of view and still be unified as followers of Christ? Can we, can we still say, hey, I disagree with you wholeheartedly, vehemently, but I still love you. Now let's come together and work to spread the gospel. Because see, what's happening is as we're working through some of these issues, some of these systemic you know, issues, you know, things like white privilege. Ooh, that's a tough one right there. Don't tell me about white privilege, pastor. I, I had to work hard for everything I've ever had in my life. I got a brother-in-law, and um, he's my wife's brother. He's a white dude, and um, he is not racist, but man, that brother's a redneck. You know what I mean? Like bright redneck. You know what I'm saying? Like like red, red, bright, bright red, and I love him, and he loves me, and we have discussions all the time, and when I talk to him about stuff like white privilege, he's like, don't give me that, Alex. You're more privileged than I am. You have a couple college degrees. You're, you're, your family's here. You did this. You've done that. And he can't understand white privilege because he's looking at it from a personal perspective. Can I just suggest this? Maybe you agree with white privilege or maybe you don't. You know, but but if, I'm, if I give you this example, if I say white people as a whole, generally speaking, during slavery, you had about 400 years, 25 to 30 generations head start to acquire wealth, education, and economic opportunity. And those are three pillars that determine success in America. Because remember, it was illegal for black people to have those things. They would kill us. That's why you guys, white people as a whole, maybe not you individually, but white people as a whole, were acquiring land, 
economic opportunity, and education. And then once slavery was over, 100 years after that, another four or five generations, you extended that head start because although the, the laws have been changed, culture hadn't. Culture hadn't caught up to that. And still in some areas, laws weren't changed. Yes, slavery was over, but it really wasn't until like 1968 that black people had all our civil rights given to us. That's really only two generations ago. Did you know that up until 1972, it was illegal in a lot of states in the United States for me to marry my wife? As Really, as late as 1968, it was illegal for black people in some areas like San Francisco to even own land. And we know that those are determinants for success in America. Land, economic opportunity, and educational. And so this is the thing. I'm not trying to say you should feel guilty for privilege, and I'm not even talking about you individually. But, I, but when I say white privilege, I'm saying, hey, white people as a whole, there's been a head start. But now that it's equal and fair, and I have that opportunity, I'm ready to run. Christians, with our privilege, we don't need to feel guilty about it. That's not what I'm asking you to do. What Christians do with our privilege is we serve. We serve people. That's what Jesus taught to do with any privilege that you have. Let me give you this, male privilege. I, I just wonder this. As, so men, I want to talk to you guys right now. Has any man in here, like ever, when you, you know, you've been afraid that you were going to be like assaulted sexually? Like any, any dude, okay? Has any dude ever like, do you carry mace on your keychains to, to protect yourself from being sexually assaulted? Is there any man in here, like, you know, when you walk to your car, you carry your keys in between your fingers just in case you got to, like, you know, defend yourself? I mean, is any dude in here scared to take out the garbage at night? You look underneath your car when you get into the, to the you look underneath it before you get into your car. Any dudes? No? Ladies, can any of you guys identify with that? Let me see. That's called male privilege right there. Does that mean that we're better than women? Nah, bruh. Women have babies. They're tough. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like if dudes had babies, like every other one of us might have one. You know what I'm saying? Like, like women are tough, but men have a privilege that women don't have where God made us bigger and stronger. We can defend ourselves in certain ways. So with our privilege, we should serve. We should serve our sisters, our wives, you know, um, our, the ladies around. So, so when we talk about some of these issues, man, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't want justice, that we shouldn't want these things. But, but what happens is we can't get our eyes off of reconciliation because that is the goal. There's so many issues that we can look at. Redlining. Pastor Adam mentioned a few weeks ago about how the NFL was paying out black players that had concussions, the settlements, less than they were white people because their rationale was, well, white people don't have as IQs as big as, um, as, as, as more as much as white people, so it wasn't as big a gap there, so they don't need to get as much. You see this stuff all over. Now, and here's the deal. I'm not here to convince you of anything, but I am here to ask you, can we engage in culture and have some of these discussions from a biblical perspective and whether you believe in these things or not, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, can we all work? Can we all work to be more like Jesus? Can we all use the Bible as our basis of um, truth, of our ultimate source of truth, and then work from within whatever organization we are to try to become more like Jesus, to become more like the Word. These things need to be looked at and made right. We should want justice, but through the lens of reconciliation. We must not get distracted from our goal of racial reconciliation. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up, and I'm going to 
I'm gonna go ahead and land this plane. I just got a couple more things I wanna tell you. Since justice is a part of reconciliation, when we focus on reconciliation, we'll receive, we'll, we'll achieve justice. I'm not asking you not to be concerned about these issues. We should be. But we gotta look at it through the right lens. We have different perspectives in life. If I was to pull, you know, five random little kids up who maybe had never seen um, an elephant before and I blindfolded all of them and I put them all in different parts of it. I put one at the, the leg in the back. I put one at the ear. I put one at the trunk. And I said, explain what you, what, what do you got there? One of them would maybe, this blindfold in the back would put his, fill that leg and pull his arms around and say, oh, this is a big old pole, a big tree or something. Another one that felt the ear would, would feel something a little bit more smooth and then the trunk, they'd say it's rounded. It's like a big old candy cane. They all have different perspectives based on what they see and what they, what they feel and what they experience. That's where we're at. We're all coming together as Christians and we're realizing that we have different experiences and, and, and we do need to make things right, but the goal should be for reconciliation. Man, this doesn't mean that we, you know, again, here, Romans 12, 19, Hebrews 10, 30, remember God promises to avenge us. He will continue to work and fight for justice for us, for reconciliation. But this doesn't mean that we should put our heads in the clouds, keep them up there or buried in the sand and not work towards justice or reconciliation. I say no to that, but we must be committed to doing it God's way. Reminder that 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, God has made reconciliation possible through Jesus Christ. The emphasis that he gave us and what he taught was forgiveness, was love, was mercy, was unity, not revenge, not infighting. God wants us to work at introducing the world to true reconciliation. That's ultimately salvation. We talked about that last week. Or if we're too busy fighting with people, they're not gonna hear that message. I wanna give you this, I acknowledge, and uh, this is a hard word, this is a hard one. To any of my black or brown brothers and sisters that are here, please don't think that we're giving white people a pass. That's probably the biggest feedback we get with our message. They say, oh, you're just, you're giving the white people a pass. You know, we say this, if you read our book, you'll see chapter six clearly says both sides have made mistakes. White people's mistakes are well-documented. Slavery, Jim Crow, you know, segregation, white, I mean, it's well-documented. Black people, we've made mistakes too. You know, I, I could go into some of them, but I just think that about my experience, what I was taught about the police is don't trust the man. That's, that's dangerous. Because when you naturally don't trust them, you're guarded. And I think that's a mistake that, that the black community has passed down. Maybe, maybe there was a reason for that because you think about where policing came from, but, but that's a mistake to pass that down. You know, the no snitching, don't ever take what's going on. A lot of the stuff happening in our inner cities, it grieves my heart. That Chicago, my beloved Chicago, I've been there many times to watch my Bears play. I go to Southside to watch the White Sox play because I'm not a Cubs fan, I'm a Cardinals fan. And you know, when you go there and you see what's going on, I'm afraid to take my family to Chicago right now because of what's going on. I can't blame white people for that. Both sides have made mistakes. But to my black and brown brothers and sisters, I, I just want to encourage you, don't think that we're giving white people a pass. We're just attempting to do what the Bible tells us to do concerning white people who've offended us and who might have oppressed us. And that's to come approach it with love and forgiveness, peace, unity. Here's what I say to my white brothers and sisters. 
Please don't disengage in the racial reconciliation process. I understand racial fatigue, just tired of hearing about it, which oftentimes leads to cynicism, frustration. Well, if you people could just get this right first, we start talking about issues and ways that the black and brown community is hurting. You people, right there, that's, that's just not the right language to have. That's not us. We're all, we're all human, right? We're, and really, truly, there's only one race, the human race. The devil has stirred things up to get us fighting with each other. But I tell you, my white brothers and sisters, we need your voice to speak up and to speak out about reconciliation, what it truly means from a biblical perspective. And if you don't speak out and let your voice be heard, you may be on the wrong side when God avenges the wrongdoings. And then to all of us, this is a call for all of us to enter into a deeper relationship with God, reading his word so that we really truly understand what reconciliation is and then engage in the process. We need your voice. We need you to speak up. We need you to stand up. You know what's going on. Let's do this. I challenge you to become ambassadors of reconciliation, not social justice warriors. Let me say a prayer for you. Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity that I have to come and just share your word with these wonderful people. Lord, I thank you that, that they've just been so attentive and willing to listen and learn and to hear the message. God, I pray for them. I pray that your spirit is with them. Lord, I pray that you lead and guide us in every way. Lord, I just thank you for the heart of this church to, to tackle these issues. May your spirit just continue to lead them, Pastor Adam and all the staff here, Lord. Give them your heart of reconciliation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you.